I want to go back for a second to the, to the reading that we did in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because I love the way Paul describes himself and his work. He says that we are treated, um, it says we are treated as imposters and yet we're true, as unknown and yet we're known, as dying and beholding we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful and yet rejoicing. I don't know if you caught those words, but they're this antinomy. They're this seemingly contradictory things that are put together. How can we be, Paul, both sorrowful and joyful at the same time? How can we be both poor and rich? How can we be both dying and living? It's hard to comprehend. And yet we know the reality of it in our own lives. This afternoon, I, I snuck away for a little run over on the berm behind across from uh, Newberry Road, back in the Clear Lake area. If you don't know that area, it's a great place to run. And I was running along the berm, which is this barrier that keeps the swamp from coming into the neighborhood. And it's kind of remote, and sometimes people forget that we're there as we run along. And I came up on this young couple, and they were had their, their picnic blanket out, and they were sitting in the backyard, and they were facing each other. I knew they were lovers, and some some persuasion, married or engaged or just dating or are possibly even on the verge of breaking up. I don't know, but they were there looking right at each other and they obviously didn't see me up on the berm running along. I wasn't trying to listen, but it was pretty easy to hear. And they were talking over each other constantly. And one would say something that she, well, well but, but you know, what you're not hearing is, you know, and you've been in this conversation, if you've been in a relationship with a, with a person of the opposite sex, well, no, you're not hearing me. And then they were kind of competing to hear and back and forth. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is a breakup conversation I'm listening to. This is terribly embarrassing, right? And then just as I almost get out of earsight, earshot, I hear one of them say, you know, I love you. And then the other one said, you know I love you too. And instantly I saw that same paradox. How can you both be frustrated at the end of your rope with this person and yet you know that you, you love them? And that's a paradox that we see all the time, isn't it? Well, Ash Wednesday is that same kind of paradox. It's, it's a culmination of several things. And as I look out, I realize that, that a lot of you are really new to Anglicanism. And perhaps you're new to this, the day of Ash Wednesday, which marks the beginning of our season of Lent. The 40 days leading up to Easter. I just want to say to you that this is one of those little treasures of, of the Anglican church that I love, of liturgical churches that celebrate it because I think we can't just rush into Easter. We need to prepare our hearts and minds. So I'm so glad you're here. I've got a lot of conversations to have with people that aren't here tonight. Some of them were here at, at noon, so they're off the hook, but others are not off the hook. But you're here and I'm so glad because this is the way we begin. But it's this paradox because in a little bit, you're going to be invited to come forward and we're going to take ash and we're going to, you know, which is actually like ash and we add water to it and we're going to put on you the sign of the cross in black ash and we're going to say, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. 
What a depressing message, right? Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. One of the things we do at Ash Wednesday and in the season of Lent is we contemplate our own mortality. Some of you are really young. Some of us aren't quite as young. But it's hard for us to think about the fact that we'll not always live here. And we'll not always be on this planet as the people that we are right now. And that's a scary thought for us. And so mortality is something we really don't want to think about. And yet Lent and Ash Wednesday cause us to contemplate. The other thing about mortality and death is that, I mean, obviously think about leaving our loved ones, but, but know that at death, as Christians, we believe that we'll give an account for our lives. We'll have to give an account before God of what we did with our lives, how we lived our lives, what, what we made of our lives, uh, the, the purpose we fulfilled. And, and uh, Michael likened it to, a, um, earlier, he likened it to a, um, a job performance review, right? You know, except this is a life performance review before God to give account for what we've done and how we've lived. Some people, we think of that as judgment, but, but that also causes anxiety for us. So you can see why people aren't here, why there's a lot of folks that aren't here tonight, because it's, it's really easy just to say, you know, I'll just show up Easter and I'll just celebrate Jesus' resurrection, but, but you're here because you realize that you need to prepare your hearts. Now I said it's a, it's a paradox, because on one side we've got, we've got death, and, 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 and judgment and, and giving account for our lives. On the other side, we have life, just like Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Because we who are believers in Christ know that for us, death is not the end. In fact, it's really the beginning. Because Christ has come back from the death, we know that we too can have the assurance that we will have eternal life in him. And so even though we are dying, Paul says, yet we are alive. And we recognize that, that we are proclaiming that, that Christ has been crucified and risen. And, yet, and so because of that, we too can hope in his life. You see, we, we contemplate our mortality, but not as those who have no hope. For our hope is in Christ. I said it was a paradox, so just like we're, we're faced with, with the idea of judgment and giving account for our lives, that reminds us of our sin. That is also all over this Ash Wednesday service. The whole price of admission was worth it to get to those prayers that we're going to pray in a little bit. In lieu of what we call the prayers of the people, on Ash Wednesday, we pray painfully specific prayers that touch on every aspect of human sin. Aren't you glad you came? You're going to get to really contemplate your intemperate passions for worldly things, for instance, one of my favorites. And, and on and on, we're, we're called to contemplate where, we have, where we've sinned and fallen short. And, and when we stand before the Lord, we, we have to Give account for those things. It's a paradox though. So on one side, it's the, it's the, it's the contemplation of our sin. It's the, it's the downer of recognizing that we have fallen short of the glory of God. But on the other side is redemption. And that's what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians. We're ambassadors for Christ. Christ is making his appeal through us. 
be reconciled to God. Your sins can be forgiven. Your life can be transformed. You don't have to live under the condemnation of the person you've been up until this moment. You can receive Christ and be assured that you've been forgiven and redeemed. Which of course leads into that life that we talked about a moment ago. Life and death, sin and redemption. Lots of different themes going on in the service today. You heard it in the readings, you'll hear it in the liturgy. But let me say just one more word about the disciplines. Because there's also lots of talk within this service and and within the season of Lent about spiritual disciplines. About fasting and taking on more prayer and almsgiving or giving to the poor. Becoming more sacrificial in your life during this period of time. And, And what's that about? Because Jesus clearly says we need to be careful about doing those things in front of people to impress them. It's not at all what we're about. But what is these disciplines are about? Well, they're not about trying harder. So if you don't hear anything else, hear that. They're not about trying harder Christianity. Pull yourself up, do better this year, try harder. That's not at all what they're about. Instead, what they're really about is moments of grace in our lives where we sense the work of the Holy Spirit transforming us and making us new. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, for instance, let's take, let's take food. Let's take fasting. When we, when we decide that we're going to offer to the Lord during this time a period of fasting, maybe from a sweets or certain drinks or certain foods or anything else that you might fast for, the opportunity then becomes to, as you give up that meal or two meals or how many God may lead you to, to experience his grace in that. And I want you to hear that. If, if you try to, to fast and you make it th- without one meal, that's an opportunity to say to the Lord, Lord, thank you for sustaining me. Thank you for transforming me because human beings are dependent upon food and yet here I am, happy and able to go on with my day even though I didn't take in substance like I'm usually dependent upon. That sort of discipline becomes an opportunity not for you to brag about what you've done for God, but to brag about God's grace in your life. If you give up watching TV or if you give up going to the movies or if you give up anything that that God calls you to, pray that you will see the grace of the Lord in that practice rather than seeing it as something that you're doing for him. Because that's what those disciplines are meant to be. They're, they're meant to be ways that we can anticipate that life that I was just talking about. We can anticipate that God is in the process of transforming us. If God can raise Jesus from the dead and he will raise us from the dead, then surely he can transform our wants and needs and begin to make us the people that he's called us to be. Not by our harder work, but by our surrender to his grace. On Sunday, I preached on the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. And and all those verbs that 
that say what love is and what love isn't. And, and someone rightfully said to me, well, that's great, Alex. You know, love is not arrogant. It does not boast. It's not rude. It's not envy. It, it, you know, it doesn't wish the worst for others. How the heck do I do that? Good question. Oftentimes, those things that, that prevent us from being the person of love that we want to be they're, they're things that are deeper down and they get expressed through anger or, or, or rudeness because they're things that we've not really dealt with. Our fears, our insecurities, our doubts. Lent and the disciplines are a time to abstain from the, 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 the things, the fleshly desires, the, the, the impulses that normally control us and give space for God to speak into those things. I, I'm so thankful for Lent. I, I haven't always been there. There have been years where I've stood up and I've said, I don't like Lent, but it's good for me. But let me tell you, I'm, I'm anticipating Lent this year. And one of the things I think that made Lent good for me this year was that last night we came in after the Shrove Tuesday Pancake Supper and we started with prayer right here in the sanctuary. And so I'm going to credit the Holy Spirit and the work of grace to give me a different perspective on this. I get a lot out of Lent. I think you will too. But I want you to think about this paradox. And I want you to contemplate what the Lord might be saying just as he speaks to Paul treated as imposters and yet true, unknown and yet we're well known. Dying and beholding, we live. As punished and not yet killed. Sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. Life and death, sin, redemption. What is Jesus calling you to do during this Lent? To prepare your heart for Easter. How does he want to display his grace to you as he helps you overcome your earthly desires? Welcome to a holy Lent. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.